Heavenly Father, what an extravagantly generous God you are. This scripture highlights the magnificence of your love in contrast with our stubborn unbelief. Truly, Advent underscores your irrepressible, limitless, transforming grace. This familiar passage tells the story of a time of crisis for Israel, and King Ahaz had every opportunity to repent and rely on you. You sent Isaiah with the promise of redemption, but he refused. Feigning piety, King Ahaz remained addicted to his illusion of control and competence. We lament how much we can be like King Ahaz. We truly love you, but when life is hard or you run late, we get impatient. Our fears, unbelief, and resourcefulness take over, and that never ends well. Father, we grieve our lack of trust in you. Thus, the promise of Emmanuel in this passage is so precious to us. By sending Jesus, our Emmanuel, you've proven yourself to be the God who isn't only with us, but the God who is so very much for us. Your love for us in the gospel isn't just unconditional, it's contra-conditional, where you've met every condition necessary to redeem us, rejoice in us, and renew us. You are our Father, and we are your beloved children. You love and care for us as none other. Hallelujah for mercy without measure and grace without limit. Love beyond imagining and peace surpassing understanding. Such are the riches of the gospel. In this current Advent season, we purpose to wait on you and trust in you. So very amen we pray in the trustworthy and triumphant name of Jesus. Whenever you feel fill in the blank, remember that Jesus says to you in your fill in the blank, I am with you. Whenever you feel just go ahead and fill in that blank. Remember that Jesus says to you in that fill in the blank, I am with you. Whatever you feel about what is currently happening in your life, remember that Jesus is with you. We just sang, is it good that we remind ourselves of this? And all of you said, it is. So it's good to remind yourself, even though you know it, that Jesus is with you right now. He's with you in your fears. He's with you in the sadness that is breaking your heart. He's with you in your exhaustion. He's with you when you just want to quit. You just want to quit life. I could just go on and on, but you know what's going on in your life and where you need this promise today. 
You know what's going on in that little heart of yours where you desperately need to hear those words. So fill in the blank. Whenever you feel blank, remember that Jesus is with you. That's what we'll see in Haggai chapter 2. So turn there now in your Bibles. Haggai, third house from the end of the street of what is called the Old Testament. So get in the middle where that blank page is. And you know what you could do? You can rip that blank page out, okay? Alec Motier, I'll quote him in a little bit, my, one of my favorite Old Testament scholars, he calls that blank page in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, he calls it the abomination of desolation. Because for some reason, we make a disconnect when we see that blank sheet of paper. And we think everything that has gone before us is for those people, and everything that follows is for us. And so he says, get rid of that. In fact, he would even say, don't even call it the Old Testament. He would say, it's the First Testament. He would say that if you told Jesus the Old Testament, Jesus would say, why do you call it that? Anyway, that's just for free, okay? I got distracted. See, that's why I manuscript everything, because I will just go down some rabbit trail. So Haggai, third book from the end of the abomination of desolation, which is that blank page between the First and New Testament. Turn there if you haven't. The prophet Haggai is going to show up at the temple work site with yet another sermon. Why? So that he can remind God's people once again that God is near. Because it is good that we remind ourselves of this. It is. To remind ourselves that the Lord is close. He's reminding them that they are never alone no matter what they are feeling. Haggai's sermon reminds us that there isn't anywhere in this world where Jesus isn't anything but God with us. So Haggai chapter 2, look at verse 1 and hear the word of the Lord. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to all the remnant of the people, and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So we get another time marker there in verse 1. Haggai gives us these time markers, these calendar dates throughout his book. And so we're looking at the 520 B.C. calendar now. And just as a heads up, their calendar and our calendar don't exactly sync up month to month. But we saw in chapter 1, verse 1, that Haggai came preaching on the first day of the sixth month, which is our August 29th. And then formal Temple rebuilding began on the 24th day of the sixth month, which is September 21st. And then today in our passage, Haggai came preaching again on the 21st day of the seventh month, which is now October 17th. So we have August 29th, September 21st, and now here we are on October 17th. So about a month after they officially began rebuilding the temple, after they went to Home Depot and got all the supplies that they needed, Haggai came preaching again. And this was a very special time on Israel's calendar 
The 21st day of the month was when the nation of Israel was wrapping up that great celebration known as the Feast of Tabernacles or the Feast of Booths, the last and greatest of their three annual festivals. So during the Feast of Tabernacles or during the Feast of Booths, the nation of Israel would live in these makeshift tents or huts. They would camp out. They would go camping And they would remember their days when Yahweh delivered them out of slavery in Egypt. And so for seven days, they would go camping and live in these little tents that they made. And they would remember how they roamed in the wilderness before they entered the promised land. And this was especially fitting for Haggai and company. Because they themselves had recently returned from their own exodus out of slavery in Babylon. So they were remembering that too. And so as the people are camping out and working on the temple, Haggai comes preaching again. Preacher's going to preach. But why? Why did Yahweh send Haggai again? Why do they need another sermon? Because Yahweh knows the hearts of his people. He is the great heart knower. Did you know that two times in the book of Acts, Jesus is called the heart knower? Acts one twenty four and Acts 15.8. And so in Acts chapter 1, the very first name that the early church uses to address God in prayer in the book of Acts is heart knower. What's their nickname for God at the beginning of the book of Acts as the church is, is being thrust out on mission? As the church is growing by leaps and bounds, their nickname for God is heart knower. That's the first term they use when they address God in prayer. Think about that. Jesus is the great heart knower. Now, sometimes we think we know what's going on in someone's heart, don't we? I do it all the time. Well, that's why they did this. I don't know why anybody does anything. And neither do you. Only Jesus does. He actually knows our hearts better than we know our own hearts. Wow, that's humbling. And he knows exactly how you're feeling right now in your heart this morning. And he cares. And that's why Jesus sent the prophet Haggai to the temple work site. The Lord could see what was happening in people's hearts and how they were feeling. And how were they feeling? They were discouraged. They were exhausted. They just wanted to quit. And they would have fit right in with 2020, right? Because who here is tired? Who here is worn out? Who here is exhausted? Haggai and company would fit right in with us. And we would be comfortable with the church in 520 B.C. too. Because they were worn out and they were exhausted. And they were just over 520. But why were they discouraged? Answer, because they knew what Solomon's temple used to look like in all its glory before the Babylonians came along and destroyed it. And they felt like they'd never be able to finish this fixer-upper temple. Some of the people who were carted off to Babylon were young kids, maybe even in their late teens. And they remembered what the temple used to look like. There's a slide of it, kind of a cutout of what it looks like on the inside. They remember. 
How were they ever going to restore the temple to its former glory? It took King Solomon seven years to build this, 1 Kings chapter 6 tells us. And Solomon was the king of a vast empire with all kinds of resources at his disposal. He had government funding. And so if it took Solomon seven years to build it, and he was rich, and he had an unlimited budget, and he had all the resources that he could have at his fingertips, and he had tons and tons of work crews, then how in the world would this ragtag group in 520 B.C. pull this off? The project seemed too big, too daunting. How in the world would they do it? It was just too overwhelming, and the memory of how grand the temple used to be just hung in the air. And that's why the Lord sent Haggai again, to address what was in their hearts, to address how they were feeling. And notice, too, in verse 3, that the Lord doesn't gloss over their very real feelings. He says, Who is left among you that saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? So God is not denying their feelings. He cares about how they feel. He's aware of what they are thinking. In fact, the Lord does not even deny that their current situation was bad. He doesn't disagree with them. He says, is it not as nothing in your eyes? Compared to the temple in Solomon's day, this version was nothing. Just a heap of rubble. Nothing to get too excited about. And so the current state of affairs was not ideal. Life was not what they had envisioned. And they were overwhelmed. Understand this, Grace. This is how God comes to us. This is how and when He draws near. God deals with us where we are. Not where we want to be. God deals in real life with real feelings. He deals with real human hearts that experience all kinds of feelings. And He comes to us in those places. He meets us in those places to comfort us, to encourage us. The real Jesus comes to meet The real us, not the Instagram us. Listen, when Jesus shows up and you try to do the Instagram you with him, he's like, come on, man. I see through all of that. I know you put that filter on. The real Jesus wants us with no filters. And like those in Haggai's day, he comes to us in those places where we feel like life is nothing What's the point? Why even try? Just just quit. Maybe I should just die. That's the glory of the gospel, is that the infinitely, eternal, glorious God of the universe, He actually condescends to meet us when we feel like life is pointless. When we feel like we just can't go on. When we're exhausted. Why does Jesus meet us there in our places of this feels pointless, it's all for nothing? Because that's when we finally wake up and realize that we need him again. 
If Jesus only came to us when life was good and life was peachy keen, then we wouldn't ever admit that we need him. If he only came when everything was just right, then we would never know how much we need him. And we wouldn't draw near to him. But life isn't always peachy keen, is it? And that's when Jesus loves to draw near to us. In those moments. God comes to us when we are overwhelmed. When situations seem hopeless. And when life feels like nothing. Blah. Christmas reminds us that God is not afraid to come close to those who just feel hopeless. In fact, God came down into the most hopeless situation of all. Sinners separated from God and desperately needing restoration. God came near in the person of Jesus as a baby to an absolutely messy situation that had no hope of ever getting better apart from the intervention of God. And so Christmas reminds us once again, that Jesus lived the life that we could never live because we are sinners. And he died the death that we all deserve and the death that we don't want to live die. And God raised him from the dead and he ascended into heaven where he sits as our advocate and high priest until he returns again in his final advent. That's the gospel. That's what Christmas reminds us of. And so Christmas is a reminder that no matter how hopeless life gets, there's always hope because Jesus is with us. Because Jesus did and Jesus still does draw near to us. In fact, it's our failures and it's our fears and it's our hopeless situations that are the raw material that Jesus uses to build his kingdom. Those things and situations and circumstances that we hate and don't want to be in the middle of, and we just want them to be over with, those are the very things, the very raw material that Jesus uses to build and further his kingdom in our life and in this world. Look at verse 4. Yet now be strong, O Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, O Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst, fear not. Recall from last week, Haggai already passed on the good news in verse 13. I am with you, declares the Lord. Now, about a month later, he comes again with the same message. And so the call to continue working on the temple flowed out of, Haggai says, and continues because God promised to be with his people. It's based on his covenant promises he says, according to the covenant that I made with you when you came out of Egypt. That's what they're celebrating here at the Feast of Tabernacles, that God brought them out of Egypt. And that's what Haggai is pressing on here. God made promises to his people 
So there is no way that he is ever going to go back on said promises. No matter how bad they are. No matter how bad we are. Jesus will never break a promise. And that just might be enough to get you through to Christmas. His favor rested on Haggai and company. Therefore, their labors would not be in vain. And so this two times given promise of I am with you is actually nothing new for God's people. This has been the theme of the Bible since Genesis 1, even after Adam and Eve sinned in Genesis 3. This is the staggering theme of the whole Bible. Old Testament scholar Alec Motier that I mentioned at the beginning said that this is the big idea of the entire Bible. He said, the whole Bible is bound together around the single theme, I will be your God and you will be my people. That just means that God loves to draw near to sinners. And that was the whole point with the tabernacle in Moses' day and with Solomon's temple. It's all about the visible presence of God. And that's why God chose to give himself the name Emmanuel. God named himself Emmanuel, which means God with us. And here at this work site, at the work site of an, of an almost impossible fixer-upper, with a stack of two-by-fours all around and buckets of nails and piles of rocks and faded blueprints, God showed up to remind His people of His name. In the middle of their exhaustion, in the middle of their despair, God showed up to the work site with a promise in His back pocket. And right now, Jesus has shown up here in this church today with a promise in His back pocket to remind you of His name, Emmanuel. Now, I know that you already know that, don't you? Because you're a smart Christian. You've read the Bible. You've heard plenty of Christmas sermons. If you know any Hebrew... I bet you already know that Emmanuel means God with us. But if you're like me, you probably need this reminder. Judah, the nation of Judah, needed to hear it twice from the prophet Haggai. So I imagine you need this reminder too. In fact, for the rest of your life, at various times, you are going to be, need to be reminded that Jesus is named Emmanuel, that he is with you just like he was Judah in 520 B.C. Listen, don't forget that God's promises are like food. Don't forget that the gospel is like food. You need them daily. You can't go a day without food. And you can't go a day without God's word. If you go without food, you know what happens? You get hangry. I know you do. And so do I. Same thing happens with God's word. Some of you are people who can't function without their morning coffee. You know who you are. And you wake up and you're like a zombie just stumbling through the house and mumbling, coffee, need coffee, need magical hot dark liquid to revive me. That's every Christian without the gospel. It's every Christian without God's word. 
hurts every Christian trying to live without God's word and without his promises. We just can't function without hearing it every day. And so Haggai's sermon shows us that the Christian life is moment-by-moment grace. The Christian life (coughs) is not download the new version and you're good until a new update comes out. There's a reason they're called new morning mercies. Because you need them every morning. His mercies, plural by the way, are new because there are many places in your life and in your heart where you need mercies, plural. The fact that God's mercies are plural should humble us. We, just, we don't just need Jesus in one area of our life because we all have all kinds of issues, don't we? <clears throat> and Jesus has mercy for every one of them. Back to the big idea of Haggai's sermon. He says, I am with you. And Jesus is with me as I'm trying to preach with this nagging itch in my throat. Back to the big idea of Haggai's sermon. I am with you, declares the Lord of hosts. I know that you know that God is with you. I know you already know that. But you need to be reminded of it again. And you might need to be reminded of it again later this week. Definitely sometime within the next month, you're going to need it. You know it on paper, but you need to sense it again. You need to feel it. So what's weighing on that little heart of yours this morning? Where do you need Emmanuel? Where does your heart need assurance, comfort, and peace? Remember, whenever you feel fill in the blank... Remember that Jesus says to you in your fill-in-the-blank, I am with you. Whenever you feel overwhelmed, whenever you feel scared, whenever you feel depressed, whenever you feel like nothing matters, whenever you feel like you don't matter, whenever you feel anxious, whenever you feel fill-in-the-blank, Jesus says to you, fear not, I am with you. Be strong, I am with you. That was the heart of Haggai's sermon. God is with us. And that's why Haggai could pile up those words in verses 4 and 5 where he says, Be strong, be strong, be strong, work, fear not. The whole reason Haggai piles up these action words is precisely because God is with them. They can be strong because Yahweh is with them. They can work hard because God is with them. They don't have to fear because the Spirit is with them. And what is true for the people of God in 520 is true for the people of God in 2020. And that means that we can have hope as we endeavor to stay busy making disciples, making disciples. That's our tagline here at Grace. We can continue making disciples, making disciples because the Holy Spirit is with us. He's in our midst. We can continue with our mission to ignite in every person a passion to glorify and enjoy God everywhere and in everything. So be strong, grace. Work, grace. Fear not, grace. The Holy Spirit is here in our midst. 
He remains here with us, to be with us, to help us fulfill our mission. And so as we roll into 2021, let's roll into the new year with hope and expectancy. And as ministries slowly start up again, get involved. If you're not involved, get plugged in. Join a small group. Join a Sunday school class. Help out with Awana or help out with the youth group. We need some more adult staff to work with our students. That's one thing I love about Pastor James. He's not just like, I'm the youth pastor, I do it all. He says, I want the parents, I want people in our church to know our students and to disciple them. And he needs more. Maybe God's stirring in your heart to say, you know what? I need to invest in the next generation. Contact James. Tell him you're willing to help. Tell him you're willing to pour your life into students. Be strong. Work. And fear not. And get involved. Don't miss out on what the Spirit of God is doing here among us here at Grace. He has exciting things planned for us next year. I can't wait to see what it is. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do. I'm ready to have like my socks knocked off. Let's go ahead, Holy Spirit. Do something. Knock my socks off. That's what I'm waiting for. Listen, if you want to play it safe, and I know the temptation... And just live the easy life like Haggai and company before 520 BC, before uh, Haggai started preaching. If you want to live that way, it will actually kill your courage. It will suffocate your courage. When you, but when you give up your desires for your designer life, and you want to live all out for the glory of God, that's when the Spirit fills you with overcoming courage, and then you really begin to live. That's when you become strong, and you work, and you fear not. So take heart today, Christian. Haggai chapter 2 is in the Bible to remind you that God's hand is intimately mixed up in your troubles, just like he was with Judah. Haggai chapter 2 is in the Bible to remind you that Jesus is all up in your business. Your problems, your fears, your suffering is his problem, his fears, his sufferings. In other words, what concerns you concerns him. He is intimately tied and mixed up in your troubles. So just pour your heart out to him and rub his promises into your pores. I was thinking about this morning, uh, what must God think when we come to him in prayer as his children? Thinking about our oldest son, Zechariah, who's been traveling the world. He's in Thailand for, I don't know, almost a year, maybe more. Now he's in Ukraine. He's going somewhere else soon. He's just out there. But when he came home about a month ago, the talk in the, in the, in the family and in the house was, Zech's coming home. Zech's coming home. And as parents, Heather and I are like, Zech's coming home. Like, we want to see our firstborn son. And now Jamin, our second born, is back. He came back Friday from college all week long before this. Jamin's coming home. Jamin's coming home. We want to see our kids. You want to see your kids when they go away and they're coming in for a visit. What is it? They're coming in. We're going to see them on Christmas. How much more does God feel that way? 
when we come to him in prayer, not that God needs anything. He's sufficient in and of himself. He's eternal. He doesn't need anything. But as our father, when he sees us as his children coming to him, he's like, hey, look who's coming. Look who's coming. So just pour your heart out to him. He's waiting on you. He's so happy and so thrilled when you just say, my father who art in heaven. Christmas and Haggai chapter 2 remind us that God enters into our sufferings and we begin to see God working in our own very particular struggles. Whether they are fears or depression or despondency or discouragement or exhaustion. And when Jesus shows up in our troubles, that's when we discover how his grace goes deeper than we could ever imagine and it empowers us to live for his kingdom in spite of all the hardships that we are experiencing just like judah in 520 bc so god spoke through the prophet haggai to judah's fears and he answered their concern he answers their concerns with that magnificent promise of his grace found in the words i am with you in other words god answered with himself God himself was the answer to their troubles. God himself was the answer to their fears. David Pallison said, God's past grace says, I am for you. His present grace says, I am with you. His future grace says, I am coming for you. And that future grace is exactly what Haggai will highlight next. Look at verse 6. For thus says the Lord of hosts. Time out real quick. Haggai's already used that term once. See how many times you can spot it in the next few verses. For thus says the Lord of hosts. Yet once more, in a little while, I will shake the heavens and shake the earth and the sea and the dry land. And I will shake all nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord of hosts. The latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Here's the gist of what Haggai is saying. Yahweh is going to make all things new. He is going to make all the sad things come untrue. There is a new world coming with the appearing of the Lord Jesus in his final advent. God will finally and permanently come down and dwell with us forever on the new earth. And when he comes, he will shake the nations. All the treasures of this world will flow into the rightful kingdom and his glory will fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. Jesus will shake the heavens. Shake the earth, shake the sea, shake the dry land. In other words, everything in creation will be like a snow globe. Jesus is going to shake the entire universe like a snow globe. And when it all settles, there will be peace. The Hebrew word used here by Haggai, you might know it. Y'all are smart Christians. The Hebrew word used here by Haggai for peace is the word shalom. Have you ever heard that word? It means peace, wellness, wholeness, harmony, 
It's this all-encompassing harmony and fruitfulness. It's a total restoration of all relationships between God and man, and man and man, and man and creation. It's everything working together as God intended it. That's what life was like in the Garden of Eden. God was thoroughly enjoyed and worshipped by Adam and Eve. Creation was enjoyed. All human relationships were pleasurable. There was harmony. All was well. Everything was shalom. But then a talking snake showed up and started asking questions. And everything went downhill from there. And our first parents, Adam and Eve, sinned. They disobeyed God and shalom was lost. Listen, God wasn't unmoved by that. And God isn't unmoved by the lack of shalom and peace in our world today. God hates how sin has wrecked his world. And that's why he's going to give it a good snow globe shaking one day. And God cares about you. When you experience the result of Adam's sin in this broken, twisted world. Jesus actually cares about how sin has ruined and wrecked your world. Ruined and wrecked your life. Ruined and wrecked your relationships. He's not unmoved by that. He feels that. And he is determined to fix it for good one day. Neil Plantinga says, God hates Sin, not just because it violates his law, but more substantively, because it violates shalom. Because it breaks the peace. Because it interferes with the way things are supposed to be. In fact, that is why God has laws against a good deal of sin. God is enthusiastically for shalom and therefore against sin. Let's say that evil is any spoiling of shalom whether physically, by cancer, say, morally, spiritually, or otherwise. Evil is the spoiling of shalom, this peace, this wholeness, this wellness with man and creation and the universe. And so at the final advent of Jesus, when he comes again, he will shake the universe like a snow globe, and when it all settles, there will be nothing but shalom as far as the eye can see. Nothing but peace as far as the eye can see. Glory as far as the eye can see. And God's kingdom will finally and fully be realized and established at his final advent. And it was this hope that Haggai sought to inject into God's people. Haggai actually reached into the future and he grabbed a handful of hope. And brought it back to the present to strengthen Judah and to give them encouragement to keep rebuilding the temple. And so Haggai encouraged them not just with the present promise of Emmanuel, but also with the future promise of Emmanuel. And it was the future God with us that settled and calmed the present fears. As well as the present promise of his presence. His presence which was smack dab in the middle of this temple fixer-upper. And that promise is for you too, Christian. That's why you should throw away that blank Bible, blank uh, piece of paper in your Bible between the, the First and New Testaments, because that promise is for you too. 
Donald McLeod says, the covenant promises tantamount to saying, I shall use all my godness for you. All my godness is yours. All my wealth of attributes, of prerogatives, of functions, all I have and all I am is yours. It wasn't just for Haggai. It's for you, Christian. So Jesus is telling you today, in the middle of your fears, in the middle of your doubts, in the middle of your weakness, in the middle of your exhaustion, he's saying to you, it's me. I am here. I am with you. Don't be afraid. I shall use all my godness for you. All my godness is yours. All my wealth, all I have, all I am is for you today, right now in your situation. And isn't that the way it always is for God's people? Whether in 520 or 2020, we always find ourselves in precarious situations and we are called to cling to God's promises. So God with us is all that holds us up when we feel like life is going to swallow us up. Think about how crazy it is. Just one name in the Hebrew language. Emmanuel, translated with three very simple words into English, God with us. But it can give you all the hope you need this Christmas. Emmanuel, God with us. In the darkest times of your life, Emmanuel, God is with you. In those moments when you feel like life is falling apart, Emmanuel, God is with you. When you are so overwhelmed with life and you think that you just can't go on, Emmanuel, God is with you. When you find yourself in situations that you didn't ask for, they just came uninvited, unwanted, and they're just so overwhelming and you don't even know what to do, where to begin, what to say, how to respond, and you just feel hopeless, and maybe even you just feel like dying. Like That would be a good option in those moments, Emmanuel. God is with you. When you are at the end of your rope, you know who's waiting for you at the end of your rope? Jesus, Emmanuel. God is with you. Sometimes that's all you have, but it's all you need. God is with you. The Lord of hosts is with you. The Lord of heaven's armies is with you. Did you catch that in these verses? Six times... God refers to himself as the Lord of hosts. You could word it this way. Yahweh of heavenly military troops. Hmm. In other words, the God who is with Haggai and company and the God who is with you is not some pansy. He's not a wimp. He's not a pushover. Jesus doesn't have shiny, nicely feathered hair. Soft, ultra-soft, silky, well-manicured hands that smell like strawberry lotion. He's the God of heaven's armies. In other words, you want to be on his team. You want him to be with you. And the Lord of heaven's armies is with you today. And sometimes that's all you have. But it's all you really need. Emmanuel. God with us, the Lord of hosts, Yahweh of heavenly military troops. 
And it's not just some theology. It's not a chapter in a systematic theology book. It's not some doctrine, just some doctrine that we believe. It's a person. It's Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. And that just might be enough to get you through whatever it is you're going through today. And so sometimes all you can do is just keep saying over and over and over again, the God of heavenly armies is with me. The God of heavenly armies is with me. The God of heavenly armies is with me. Sometimes you just have to say it over and over again until you believe it. Because it's good that you remind yourself of these things, isn't it? So you might want to try that the next time you get stressed out or worried or scared to death. Because it's true. Merry Christmas. So whenever you feel fill in the blank, remember that Jesus says to you in your fill in the blank, I am with you. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you that you are present with us, whether we feel it or not, whether we believe it or not. We believe, help our unbelief. Your very presence as Emmanuel confronts our unbelief and we repent. Help us to believe and to expect that you are going to flex your muscles and show yourself as the Lord of heaven's armies on our behalf. Help us to be patient as we wait for you to show yourself, trusting in your wisdom, trusting in your knowledge. May you be honored and glorified in our lives today. In your name we pray, amen.